Welcome to Overthinking in Your Underwear. This is Lindsay, and this week I'm overthinking imposter syndrome, creativity, and playing small. My friend Owen Black is back in London to chat about creativity and how imposter syndrome gets in the way of all that. This is a really great conversation for writers or in creatives and anyone kind of standing on the sidelines trying to put themselves out there. We get really into the writing process and the creative process and how to beat back that imposter syndrome that comes along with it. Ready? Let's overthink it. How did you spend your day in London today? Because it's 11 here and five there. Like, how? what was a London Saturday like? If I told you I was working, would it be Would it be sad? If you told me you were laying in bed, I'd be like, that's like how most of my Saturdays are. Well, here's, here's what I did. Okay, here's what I did. So I woke up. Uh, Dre tried to convince me to go for a walk at 545 in the morning. Oh, my um, goodness. This is what you get for marrying a yoga teacher. Well, no, so, I, so she went away to Greece, which is two hours ahead. So when, you know, you spend a couple of days in that okay. time, you come back with a different kick. Okay. Yeah. So she's been waking up at five o'clock in the morning. Oh my um, God. Right. So I, I talked out of that, which was good. <laughs> um, <laughs> made a coffee a little bit later. We've been watching the bear. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've only watched a little bit of it, but I like, I like what I see. Can I? Yeah. First of all, it's great. Um, and second, I would say, I don't know about you, but I always, because I worked at Little Burnett, we worked at Little Burnett. Right. I get upset whenever I see a show set in Chicago that mm-hmm. where the establishing shot doesn't have the Burnett building in it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, like, well, I should be able to say, yeah, that's where I worked, but I can't. Is it the establishing shot there? I feel like has the Wrigley building in it, doesn't it? No, no I mean, what it, is it? Various cuts. It's um, more gritty. It's more gritty than downtown. Yeah, but, but you gotta let you gotta let the world know you're in Chicago. Like you can't yeah. start in like Logan Square. You gotta mm-hmm. start. You gotta on, start on the Miracle Mile. Yeah, yeah. Yes. You gotta, if we don't start there. We don't know we're in Chicago. We, we have no be, idea where you are. Right. You could be in Boston. Did you ever? Did you ever work in restaurant? Were you ever a restaurant worker? I did. I did work in a restaurant, but it was a fast casual restaurant you might know called Olive Garden. Of course. That's that's not I don't even call that fast casual. I call like Panera fast casual. I, Olive Garden's a restaurant. Olive Garden is a restaurant. It actually is the number one wine seller in the world. Did you know? Whoa. I was I was a server and uh, mm-hmm. one of my friends was a server as well. Working in a restaurant is a different experience. I don't know. It's not something that you could go suggest to someone, but when you've had that experience, uh, it's quite a, it, it's something else. Like the dynamics in the kitchen um, with like the bar staff and the chef and the waiters and the people washing dishes is, is very interesting and, and management watching and getting tips and things. Yeah. Did you ever work in a restaurant? Yeah, that was my, my first job was at a restaurant. Um, so this is really funny or I don't know, but my first job was a fifties themed restaurant. So I actually wore like a poodle skirt and like you had to dress up like in theme and they had like, like fifties music on a jukebox and like we served like milkshakes and hamburgers and stuff. Um, and 
Yeah. And all the, and it, I mean, it was so tiring. Like the guys wore like white shirts and like little bow ties and the girls dressed like as fifties girls. And I mean, it was like really exhausting to like dress up for work. Like you were like in costume at Disney world. And I maybe did that for a year. And then there was this other restaurant, like it was kind of like an upscale pizza restaurant. Um, I'm trying to think of something to compare it to. Um, I mean, it was like Olive Garden level service. And I went there um, and waited tables there. Like from the time I was in high school to I would come back at college and wait tables there. And you made so much money. Like I always tell people like you need to wait tables. If you're like, that's your first job. You just make money. You know, I will say, though, there have been there have been moments where. I had, I'll, I'll never forget, you know, you had this, we cut, me and my friend called them emotional tattoos. There are moments that you're never mm-hmm. going to forget and you revisit them and they can be from various different things, but you always remember it. And I had a table, it was like a full family where it's, where they almost had to push two tables together to accommodate the whole lot. And they would order everything. And Olive Garden always has the deals with the, oh, soup, salad, and bread, all this stuff where yes. you can keep from it coming. Scampi. Right. So the price never goes up, but the work on the, the the actual waiter is like exponential. Um, and so we're like serving all this stuff. And then you have like this woman that none of the the silverware was clean enough for her. So she asked for like a little packet of sanitizer and a glass of hot water. And then she put all all of her, you know, her silverware yeah. in glass. And I'm like, I'm like, I know they're not dirty, but this is you, but it looks right. bad on me and it's very visible. And I'm serving everyone doing the best I can. And they came at like the, the tail end. And so the, the restaurant was shutting down. And as they were leaving, the guy whispered, he's like, left something there for you on the table. And I came back, it was like a $1 bill. <laughs> and oh, my God. It w- and the thing is, like, if I thought he was trying to be an asshole, it wouldn't have hit. But I actually think they tapped out of money. <laughs> that you was think- all you think they didn't have any money i had a table once and i think my dad like wanted to beat these people up i had like this huge table and they weren't happy with me clearly but it was like one of those things that um the kitchen was backed up blah 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 and then they left and they left me a penny right in the middle of the table like clearly they were trying to say f you you're terrible so i tell my dad and i'm like 16 17 i tell my dad later that night and i mean my dad wanted to go find them he was like well where i mean who they who were they like da 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 i'm like dad it's fine this happens like when you're a waitress it's not a big deal yeah so we're supposed to talk about imposter syndrome and we were going to talk about like our first jobs anyway we kind of na- nailed that um imposter syndrome and a little bit about like the creative process and how it's like so baked into imposter syndrome too. Um, I am going to read to you. So this is my book overthinking in your underwear. Um, And I'm going to read to you my definition of imposter syndrome that I have in here. First of all. Okay. Ooh. So this, this is chapter seven overthinking self doubt where we talk a lot about imposter syndrome. The term imposter syndrome or imposter phenomenon was originated by Dr. Suzanne Imes and Dr. Pauline Rose Clance in their 1978 article, The Imposter Phenomenon in High-Achieving Women, Dynamics and Therapeutic Intervention. Since then, Imes and Clance's publication, uh, the definition of imposter syndrome has broadened to include almost everyone in their non-inclusive club of double double doubters. Imposter syndrome wants to upend our self-worth and replace it with incessant 
insecurity. To get clinical on you, imposter syndrome is a common phenomenon where a person adopts persistent feelings of insecurity and self-doubt despite past success or in relation to their current skill set. This, they may be highly regarded in their field or industry, yet their success doesn't line up with their self-image. They have a blank slate mentality when it comes to their achievements. Even though they nail the speech, develop an idea, or make the sale, they, prove them, they must prove themselves worthy at the start of every new task. Um, so do you feel like you suffer from imposter syndrome? Oh, my gosh. Um, do I feel like I suffer from imposter syndrome? The, the short answer is yes. Yes. Short answer is yes. Um, I was had an interview with a guy and he described it as climbing up a greasy pole. Mm. Like you're all you never no matter what you do, you're always chasing. You feel like you like it's it's coming. You never get impossible. You're never going to get there. Right. And even when you make it, you told yourself, I just I just made it like it was okay, But like I'm going to be found out. Um, Right. And, and uh, you know, it could be anything like, you know, someone could say, oh, man, I loved your stand up comedy set. Do you want to do a showcase? You're like, great. And it's like they heard your comedy and you'd be like, yeah, but those weren't like we got. Right. Yeah. 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 I feel like I mean, I have imposter syndrome about so many things in the beginning of my career. It was so. OK, I'm a I'm a copywriter in advertising. I'm a lot of other things too. But like in the beginning of my career, it was like almost paralyzing. Like I remember sitting in brainstorms and I almost couldn't say an idea because I would just be like, it's going to be the stupid I said. It's going to be the stupidest idea in the room. Everyone's going to laugh at me. Everyone's going to know I don't actually belong in this job. Job is a job of a copywriter. Like I just don't even deserve this. And I mean, it's so funny to me now because I'll literally be in a brainstorm now and I'll be like, I will say the most unhinged stuff. Like I've just gotten so far past that now. This is just in pertaining to being a copywriter. Do Mm -hmm. I think I deserve a podcast? No, so much imposter syndrome there. But in being a copywriter, I think I've gotten over it because it's been 20 years. But in the beginning, I felt like I could not even open my mouth. You know, I was so nervous to speak. And I talk about this in the book, but I got to the point where... There was some point in my career, I mean, maybe 10 years in that like it hit me that no one here knows what they're doing. Like I have like this, I have this big respect for authority and I don't know where it it comes from. My parents probably just instilled it in me. So I would go in and be like, the boss is the boss. The boss knows what he's doing. Everybody's so smart. And then one day I'm just sitting there go, no one knows what they're doing. No one has any idea what's going on here. And like. They are making it up. Like we're in a brainstorm and all these people are looking around going, I hope someone comes up with an idea because I have no idea. And when I realized that I was like, oh, well, that makes it a lot easier. That's that's the thing when you're in the room and there 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 happens. So what will happen or what tends to happen to me and I've, I've worked to break it is you'll be in a meeting. Right. And you'll have something stewing, but you're like, "Ooh, do I say it? And someone will talk. And all of a sudden, it's like they're literally throwing shovels of dirt on your grave. And you're like, how do I dig out to like to show that I'm like still alive? And by the time you say that one thing, it is like a zombie coming up from the ground. Like, where is this guy coming from? So I'm like trying to I, I tell myself, say something in the room as early as you can. So people are already familiar with your voice. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm, absolutely. I'm, and I, I also say in the book, like people were, people will remember your efforts rather than your errors. Like yeah. people will remember like that, that guy just tries, like he's always chiming in, blah, blah, blah. They're not going to be like dummy. Like they're going to remember that people made an effort and that you're always trying and you're always like coming up with stuff and whatever you're trying to come up with stuff, even if it's not the big idea, you know, I mean, this is all very advertising centric, but I'm sure in other industries you're supposed to raise ideas. Um, but, but just, just open your mouth, like just open your mouth and and start trying, I think. Yeah. That's something that is really interesting about that thought. Um, scientists have like a journal of like failed hypotheses. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we think about science, we think about all of the innovations and everything that they've come up with, but not all of the things that they tried and failed. Yes. And that failure was like to, to what science is, is just as important, but to the layman, they're really only thinking about your successes. So it's, it's, you need to say things and it's okay that they're wrong. It's not that you have to say the right thing, but you have to, to, to put your thinking out on the table. Like, because even if it's wrong, that is, that does allow people to move with something. There's this idea about if you're in a room full of people coming with an idea to say, where we want to go to eat. The idea is put the McDonald's idea. You throw McDonald's out on the table and immediately they can react to it and say, no, we're not eating McDonald's. And now you're building off of something because. It yes, exactly. Exactly. Say the wrong thing. It's fine. Yeah. Um, so like I said, I think I've, I probably have overcome the imposter syndrome of being a copywriter, but then there's the trying of being an author and being a podcaster. And I have, I have so much imposter syndrome when it comes to that and that I don't deserve to put, put the book out or to hold the microphone or anything like that. But, um, I mean, I think you just, you just have to do it and you just have to, you have to know that your first podcast is going to be terrible and you have to just keep trying. I mean, there, there's, you're not going to, you're it's like the the cliche of like, you're going to miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take, you know, you're never going to get better by not doing it, you know? Okay. Here's another quote that I'm sure one of your listeners is like, oh, that's where you got it from. But I heard a long time ago and it was about the idea that you want to be a creator because you have taste. Okay. Um, so because you have taste, the first thing you create is going to be bad. And it's not going to meet your level of taste. And mm-hmm. it's going to put you off because you're going to think that you're trash. Mm-hmm. And so I always wonder, like, I feel like the people that are actually trying to deliver have some sort of imposter syndrome because they don't meet the standards of what they want to bring forward. Yeah. So I agree. Yeah. So like, it's it's almost not that you, you don't want that anxiety, but I I find comfort in knowing that other people have imposter syndrome, and that's almost like um they 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 care, you know mm-hmm. they they're not trying to mooch they're trying to contribute. Yeah, yeah, I think that like knowing it's there and that it's natural and happens to everyone is like is kind of a step. So an exercise I talk in the about in the book is like settle into your excuses. So like write down. Let's say I say I shouldn't be an author or whatever. I shouldn't be an author. 
write down every reason you shouldn't be an author. And you'll probably realize the list isn't very long. You know, like I'm not talented or I didn't go to Harvard or whatever. And it's, you'll realize that you're full of shit and that you're not, that you don't really have all these excuses of why you, why you aren't qualified and then make a list of all the reasons that you are, you know, I've always been creative. I've been writing for years, et cetera, et cetera. And you'll realize, you'll kind of realize you're full of shit. And if you kind of look at your list of excuses that you're saying in your head of why you shouldn't do something, you can kind of, kind of get past things a little bit, I think. So what may, like, how did you make the leap to doing the podcast? Because obviously you, you would say you'd have imposter syndrome around doing a podcast, but you are in fact doing it. So what was the thing that said, you know what, I'm going to do it. I'm going to break past this and go for it. Well, I feel like, so I feel like for years, so I've been a copywriter and I wrote a book years ago, like in my twenties and it kind of almost got published and didn't. And then I've toyed with like writing other stuff and you and I did stand up and I would do all these things. And I felt like I never like, fully put my foot on the gas, like everything that I need to do to make the thing happen, you have to do it. So to write a book and, um, get like a platform, you need to write the book. You need to post on social media every day. You need to have a podcast. You need to do three TikToks a day. And I just made a commitment that like, I wasn't going to do this half-ass. Like if I'm going to write a book, like I am going to do all the stuff that I need to be out there. And I think for a long time, I knew I was creative. I knew I wanted to live a creative life, but I was like very small about it. Like they always talk about like playing small, you know, and I would kind of like be like, you know, I did this and I worked on this, but I don't want to show anybody. And like, I don't, you know, like kind of like that. And I was like, I am going to, I'm going to do all the things. Like I'm committed to doing all the things. It's, we have, go ahead. I was going to say, we have this, this idea um, of what the other person is doing that we're not. Um, mm-hmm. so, okay. So outside of my window at the office, it's like this, this nice little canal side and it has like a little grassy place where people sit out and it's kind of like a tourist destination. Every time I look out the window, it's packed full of people. Now in my mind, those people have been sitting there from 8am to 5pm and they're the exact same people, but really they're just getting 15 minute increments of any of that at any one time. Yeah. Right. And so when I try to extrapolate that to like this imposter syndrome, I'm looking at somebody delivering this excellent stuff. And I literally think all their life is this excellence. And I don't think about the work that kind of goes behind it. So to your point, like chasing uh, the, the the podcast and how many times you need to do this a day. And, and like you can really like beat yourself up with with what everybody has told you is the expectation. Mm hmm. Yeah. I mean, I tried to do, I'm going to be honest, I tried to do the book in a small way. I sent the book to publishers and every single one, some of them are like, I really like it, but you need a platform. Like you have, you have a private Instagram page with 500 followers that are, you probably gathered from your high school reunion. You know, like we know you, we, we know who you are, but that's not how the world works anymore. And I, literally was like resentful at first. And I was like, well, that sucks. It sucks that some just because you want to be a writer, you have to have, 
you have to go on TikTok and you have to like join this whole social media movement that I really was like not into. Like I just wanted to write my stuff. And it made me kind of like, why is the world like that? Because everybody has to have a social media platform, it feels like. And then I was just like, well, I'm not going to make excuses. I'm going to just do it, you know? And frankly, it's like, it's kind of fun when you don't take it too seriously. I'm not like... I, I'm not overthinking like what all the posts mean about me and what people think about like my hair or if I look stupid. It's just like, just do it. Just do it. You know? I mean, we're like 100% of what we think about and like a fraction of what anyone else ever thinks about. Yeah. It, and so it, it's it's like, why am I like I'm performing in a certain way. And if I'm, if I'm behaving to the slither of their attention, how small do I get to be? Mm-hmm. You know, that's what I'm, what I'm going for. I'm, I'm, I'm in a similar role where I, I have a, I'm trying to put together a, a project that it feels quite ambitious. And I'm like, well, I need to just kind of go out there and do it. Um, you want to tell me what it is? Yeah. You know, it's, it's been ruminating in, in my, in my head for a while, but the, the idea that I want to write a book, but okay. I am not a writer. I've always written for the stage. And okay. so the idea would be that in order to work the book out, I can't work it out like a writer. I have to work it out like a comedian. So to put all this stuff as a work in progress to mind the audience for my material. So basically going through my my writing as if it was kind of stand up conversational and then using what came out of that to then kind of inspire the book instead of trying to go away and write in, in a cabin to use that to kind of organize it. So almost making like small events to share what would go into the book, talking and dialoguing it out. Is it auto, like, do you want to do like a biography kind of, is it like autobiographical or what do you want the book to have in it? Do you think, or do you think? It's going to be a a mapping of how I think. Um, Okay. Yeah. Um, And I'm, I'm I'm saying all of this stuff. It it hasn't, it hasn't, you know, that's okay. It's Um, working it out. I've had this, this, um, this idea of a, of a book for a long time. Um, it's called, that's why God made you black. I yep. love the title. It's, uh, it, it, the title comes from, um, uh, an insult, obviously uh, an insult that someone would say like, oh, that's why God made you black. Like you do something oh, okay. small, like a small little thing to someone else. And they'll say, oh, that's why God made you black. Um, oh, I didn't know that was an insult. Yeah, okay. yeah. It's, it's one of these kind of, and like, it's like a light insult, but you know, one of those kind of like one that's in passing. Right. Okay. But I like the, the concept of saying that like, God made me black. He made my mom black and my mom's mom's black and my mom's 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 black to warn you about this moment right here. And you still didn't listen. Like how was, you know saying? Like, if you knew that's why this reason why I was made like, you couldn't see it coming. And so Everything that, that I'm that I'm trying to put into this book is is a bit meta. It's writing about myself, it's writing about the black experience, but also like this dark humor. And so right. the kind of these swirling pots of like a bit, you know, things are a bit self-referential. So try not to write myself into into a corner uh with the concept, but it's stringing together everything I've done through stand-up comedy, all of my my different starts and stops, and saying this is the narrative and these are the three lines that we're hanging everything on to. And that that's the that's the book about this, this, this idea of imposter syndrome. I have been thinking about this and wanting to do this for a while. And, you know, there was a shirt that I was wearing that said writer. I got it out of a 
a thrift shop and it said writer and it said WB. And this guy, he asked me, see, he's like, he's like, he's like, oh, what do you write? And I said, tweets. Tweets. <laughs> but like, you're right. I made it so small, but I'm like, everything that the way I approach Twitter and, and then we can get on to whatever is I don't use it for the audience. I use it as an outlet and the format. I appreciate mm-hmm. the format and it feels like I'm getting something out of my way. If one person likes a tweet, I love it. If it connects with anybody. And so making Twitter small, waking that phrase, that sentence small, like just do it as a short sentence, just do the tweet. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, so trying to, I need to make that feel bigger. And this is what that is. I'm still thinking about like all of the, I love it. Like, so overthinking in your underwear, I didn't have the title right away, but like for, I mean, a year or two, maybe it was three. I was like, I knew like I wanted to write a self-help book that was like narrative and funny and like advice. And like people would say like, Oh, what do you, I don't know. Are you working on anything? Whatever. And I would say, I want to write and I would like describe it. And then one day in the pandemic, I was like, well, you got time. You're never going to write a book if you don't write it right now. And then I just started writing it. So just to your point, like things will roll around in your head. And then one day it'll just like hit, it'll hit go, you know? So I think it's good. It's good that you're like, you have it up there and it's going to come out. Like go forward. You have, this is a great idea. You have all the talent. You need to let people see it. Now. Okay. So in that and you know, now I'm just, I'm literally going on it. Right. But, and this is where I guess imposter syndrome kicks in. Like, it's not just going to be a book. I wanted to have more to it. You know, I wanted there to be art to it and everything. And then when you start talking about art, you're like, Hmm, are you an artist or like, what is the do art? You do, you know? do you do art? Or are you saying you want to incorporate like art you like? Yeah, well, I wanted I want to do some art in it or okay. it, you work with an artist. And like, as you start talking about a project, like, the vision of it, like how perfect it is in your mind and thinking about trying to execute that. That's when the imposter syndrome, like, again, like we were saying that taste, like you want it to be good. And then you feel like, Oh, well I'm this big. So I can't, I can't. But that's the great thing about like where, where I don't resent where our media is today, because like, kind of like what I'm doing now, I'm not saying my stuff is great, but I'm saying like overthinking in your underwear I'm trying, I'm kind of like making it a platform. Well, so God made you black. That's why God made you black. The platform on TikTok, on social, on whatever you're sharing art, you're talking to artists, you're, you know, like doing all this thing. It's not just a book. It's not just contained in a book. It's like all of the idea of it, the essence of it spreads out across the platform that is Owen Black. I mean, you can, you can make it big because of how, how social media and how, you know, how social media works today. It doesn't have to be contained in this small thing. Exactly. There, there's so That's many. That's where I don't resent social media. Social media has done a really good job of tying everything together. And one thing I am fortunate about, and I've, I've made it early, is I get one username that's universal across all platforms. So if you're looking for me, OMBLK, that's where you'll find me. Right. Twitter, Instagram, even Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, TikTok, it's the same thing. So I'm like, okay, great. I don't have to, that's one hurdle I don't have to. But also it is very much tied to myself. Well, that's okay. Cause you know, I started off as overthinking in your underwear and then I changed everything to my name because 
it was too long for some platforms. And then I started thinking about what if when I want to do other projects, I don't want to be confusing. So I have overthinking in your underwear, the URL, and then everything else is Lindsay Bruno. So, so I think you're good is my point. You started overthinking it in your underpants, uh, underwear. Sorry. <laughs> I, I think I like- it's cuter that you say underpants though. Over here, they say pants. They say Um, underpants? When they say pants, they're referencing underwear, and they call trousers the things that go on top. Well, you know what's funny? I want you, don't forget what you're about to say, but I think it's funny when I look at your um, stories and your stuff, like you're you're referencing like London things or British things, and I'm like, he's making a British joke, and I, or something that's going on in Britain, and I don't know what, I don't know what it is. I'm sure it's funny, but like you're saying something like that, like in the vernacular, it's funny. It's, yeah, and it's having that crossover audience. It's like, okay, you got to kind of play it in the middle just a bit. Um, but how? So, th- what was your your point where you said right? Was it the pandemic where you're like, okay, this is the go moment? But and did you kind of? What was your process? Okay, so like I said, I knew I wanted. So I had read about a bunch of books like this. Like I don't know if you read it because it's kind of girly. There's a book called You're a Badass. Have you ever read that book? I haven't. Okay. Um, Dre might have read it. So you're a badass. There's a lot of books that are in this um, like self-help narrative kind of thing where you tell your story and then you kind of give advice or whatever. Even Amy Schumer's book is kind of similar. Um, What's it called? It's around here. Uh, The girl, it's called the girl with the lower back tattoo. It's really funny, but she kind of gives like advice and then, but tells a funny story with it. So I was like, Oh, I want to do that. I know I can do it. So like I said, I knew I could do that. Then um, pandemic hit. I kind of said to myself, you got to do it now. And so I started writing. First, I started writing the stories I knew I wanted to tell. Like I have a story about passing out in a cab. I have a story about being at a date auction. Like I knew the stories I wanted to tell. Then I started writing the advice I knew I wanted to give. Then I started kind of melding them together. Um, At some point, I just got like the, well, what's the thing that ties this all together? Like what's the title? And then I started thinking, it's really just me like being, I was going to be kind of trying to do like neurotic, like a neurotic girl's guide to whatever. And then I'm like, well, I'm overthinking. And then I just like the over under overthinking in your underwear. Um, yeah. And then I just, I then like when I start something, I get really obsessed with it. And then I just was obsessed with it. And I mean, I finished it. And then you have to edit it a million times. Writing is editing. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. That, and then also, like, I, you know, I look at some books and I'm like, the ones I admire. And I'm like, oh, you almost get into this. Same thing with, with comedians. Like, you, if you listen to a comedian enough, when you get on stage, you'll start to sound like them. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of get to this point where, oh, now I'm sounding like myself. Uh, and I'm finally at the point where I'm like, I'm sounding like myself. Um, mm-hmm. that's quite good. Some good advice for writing. Um, I read this somewhere is like, I, if you want to re- know what you want to sound like or the, your genre. So like, I don't know if there's a book, if there's a genre of books that you want to be, be like your book. So I kept reading, like, I didn't want to read thrillers during the time that I was writing this, like I read Amy's book, I read Tina Fey's book. I read like a lot of books that I knew I wanted to keep that tone of voice going. Um, because yeah, and it is really helpful. 
like it's really helpful to just like keep that tone of voice in your head and, and like keep learning things about so, like I read a lot of self-help books during the time like stay in your genre while you're writing that yeah yeah well that that makes sense and another thing with 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 kind of inspiration is um is what medium are you drawing from so there are like certain musicians that I'm like, okay, I like the way you've put that together. When it comes to writing, you have to say, okay, music, hip hop, how the, how they string concepts together. Um, like, I, I feel like there's a, there's almost like, um, uh, what's your diet? What is your, what is your creative diet? What are you mm-hmm. bringing in? And it's like, you can read things, but then you do you have to listen to some stuff and look at some stuff just to make sure that you have a varied diet. Sorry, the thing about mugs on on like on like video calls, I feel like that is the flex that people have. I know. I get really self-conscious about whatever I'm drinking out of. Let me see okay. yours. It's um you know. Tip what's tip? Tip is like art. It's art, right? It's Toronto National Film Festival. Yeah. Oh, it's a film festival. Yeah. And so it's like, you know, you say something smug and then you slowly bring it up to your mouth and sip slowly. Yes. I had a mug the other day I was drinking out of that said world's best grandpa because I'd taken it from my parents' house. And I was like, slow. I kept, I turned it, tried to turn it around so no one could see it. Like also I have a thing. I do. We don't like identical mugs in like the house, like all of our. Yeah. Each one is unique. No one gets the same mug. I think that's important. Mm hmm. No, I think it's important too. So I saw, I was just looking at my notes. I saw this piece of advice um, on Instagram. Sorry that I'm not giving the person whatever. Um, that each year you should um, pick one peak activity. And it's like the focus of your year. So if you're like you and I, like maybe 2024, your peak focus is write a book. And maybe my peak focus is like refine this podcast. And if you're not like us, maybe your peak focus is run a marathon or climb Mount Kilimanjaro. Um, but it like, it keeps you energized. It gives you something to get up for. It keeps you passionate. And then the guy was saying like, imagine if you did that every year and 30 years later, you look back at your life and the amount of like, peak moments you will have you will have gathered and the amount of things you will have accomplished and i thought that was really cool and really good advice and as someone who kind of lives for the next project i really liked that right i like i like the idea of having the like you know vision boards mm-hmm. um now i have never properly done a vision board um i haven't either right but at the end of the year when you look back on your year what you achieve is also what you were thinking about. So that like mm-hmm. aligns with his peak moment. So if you're like really focused on money and all of a sudden and, and getting money at the end of the year, it's like, Oh, I've, I've saved something. It's like, yeah, because well, your mind was all was set on that. Mm-hmm. Same thing with bad things, right? Like you, sometimes, you know, we like to look at misfortune as something that happened to us, but did we contribute did you to call it? In? Yeah. Right. I think self-worth and imposter syndrome is directly tied to not getting paid your worth at a job. You're just kind of like, no, it's cool. Pay me that. I'm not going to ask for more. Or if you ask for a raise and they don't give it to you, you're like, okay. Like I I did that for so long Mm -hmm. um, to the point that this happened to me. I was working really, really hard in an ad agency. A guy, and I don't like to do a lot of like, crazy stuff like this, but a guy was in my position working 
not hard at all. And he, in passing conversation, because we were really good friends, told me what he made. Like he kind of went, well, yeah, and I know because I make this, I need to do this for my taxes. Or he said something like this. And he was getting paid like $10,000 more than me. And that was the day I stopped trying. (laughs) I will tell you that. And I quit and I very soon after switched jobs. Um, And I was so... I was, and they had, I had asked for a raise recently and they had told me no. And I was so upset and felt very taken advantage of. But anyway, I think self-worth and imposter syndrome all kind of ties to not asking for what you want at a job. Have you ever experienced that? I mean, all the time. And then again, you know, they, people don't talk about money in this country. So you never in, in your country in London in the, in the UK no it's the it, they they do not talk about money okay no they they it's that's i wouldn't say they're notorious about talking about money i would say that they hate poverty they hate the poor in the really poor, oh my god okay it's that that's a that's a long story but you could unpack that but if you read about the concept of poverty in britain they hate the poor. Well, because the there's a lot of still like classism there that like you can't move between the classes like how you can in the U.S. Is that correct? There's a yeah, there isn't a in the in America. Everybody's told like, oh, man, you can go achieve. You can get that. And so a lot of people from the U.K. look forward, look at America like, oh, they want to go there. You know, obviously, there's, you know, things that they don't like about America for sure. Um but there's an opportunity where in the UK it's like kind of entrenched. Um, but it's really, and I would say, you know, it's it's not a hot statement to say it's hostile towards poverty and the poor. Um, mm-hmm. Now where we now where are we going with this? Okay, so the conversation about money. So people don't talk about money um, because they. See, it's I would even say the UK sees itself more as a meritocracy than the US does. Okay, so they've done research around that. Um, so you don't talk about money because it seems like it's a reflection on yourself. So now we come back to this idea of self-worth, okay? People that have imposter syndrome and self-worth, they want to deliver value. They don't they they don't want to let anybody down. They want to be able to again to to be what they say they are. They don't want to fail anybody. Um and I and I think that's that's a part of it. Like when they have to rise to the occasion, they can do it but they don't want to overpromise. No, keep going. Okay. What was, um, do you want to tell me anything about, we talked about first jobs, um, and, uh, being waiters and waitresses or the, everyone's called a waiter now, I think. Okay. okay. Um, server servers. Okay. That's a better, that's a, we're all servers. Um, what was, what were other jobs you had and did you have like any imposter syndrome associated? Um, strategy, moving into strategy. Yeah. Moving into strategy. So Owen and I, like I said, both in advertising and you were an account person, an account side person. Then you moved into strategy, which I think is so interesting. And that was harder, harder challenge. What I would say is when I was in account management, I was an actual imposter because that was not the job for me. I kind of always thought that I thought like you should be a creative or you should be, you know, something else. Right. And then when I moved into strategy, uh, there is, 
there's so much stuff that like the it's kind of hard to get into strategy. Like oftentimes people are working yeah. management and they're like, oh, well, how did you get into strategy? And everybody sounds like they like they knew a guy, they snuck in through the side door. So you just kind of figure it out. But then when you get here, from what I've heard, this is one of the, the roles with the most imposter syndrome there is because the creative is judged by what is in front of you, okay? People mm-hmm. can say whether they like it or not. They can rate it, all right? The account person, there's, did you get this email or things running on track? But when it comes to the strategy, I've heard somewhere that nine out of 10 strategies don't work. And you're pulling all these numbers out of the air to kind of give the direction to the whole thing. And people- And, sorry, I was going to interrupt you really quick. And people, nine out of 10 people, I think, don't really understand it. They don't really, or there are people that don't even like strategy. They don't really get it. So like you could, yeah, I mean, the people that get it, like, like I get it, obviously- I really appreciate it. And it's like so, so, so important to the process. But I think you could also go up there and just say complete bullshit. And a client would be like, that was great. Like so many people don't get it too, you know? And like, even when I'm explaining my job to other people, I explain everyone else's job and then say, well, I'm the guy that did like in context, just to say. What do you say? You're the guy that what? Well, gives, like, gives research to it and, and yeah, makes so, meaning yeah. behind it. Right. But I feel like I put the context to everyone else because I feel like the job in and of itself is too soft on the side. So therefore you feel vulnerable in that role. Yeah. And so when you come up against other strategists, everyone sounds smart because they're all trying to sound smart because they're all mm-hmm. in the same mm-hmm. kettle. You're just surrounded by a bunch of imposters. Mm. And so they do something and then he does something and then you do something. And then also there's not one way to do the job. So, oh, so true. Right. And so you're comparing yourself to somebody whose mind maps itself completely different. Someone could be completely about data. Whereas for myself, I'm like, I'm about context and figurative, you know, the, the figurative narrative and, and metaphors to build up what we're trying to do. And that looks completely different. And it it is... Strategy is a, as much as a blank page as the creative is as much it as a blank really, page. really. I like, I mean, I like data, but I also just like the psychology of strategy of like, this is why someone is going to, this is the insight of why someone is going to buy this, or this is where the direction the creative needs to go, because this is really what's going to make people buy this or whatever. Then as a creative, you go, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I get that. That's a really good insight. And now we're going to build everything off of that, that, that's how strategy should work, right? Mm-hmm. And and then and then also the idea of, of an imposter is okay. Is it okay to be enough? Right. Mm-hmm. Climbing up this greasy pole, like at what point do you say I've done exactly what I needed to do? Did I have to deliver more? Where do I define what good is? That's like if you, if there's no definition, no end goal, no finite definition for what good is, that's another little treadmill that you're running. Yeah. Well, and that's what I was reading imposter syndrome on verywell.com. And they were talking about how it, it affects a lot of like perfectionists. Speaking of another conversation, what do you want to talk about next time? We can talk about the progress on your book. We could talk. I don't know how far. What? Well, I'm planning a writer's retreat for myself. Okay. Um which I think is going to start off first with just mapping out everything that I've written and bucketing it um, 
and thinking through the organization of how because it, it's it's good when it comes out it's going to be funky okay <laughs> it's going to have yes you know i'm i'm really cuz i can see it in my head um and so i'm like let's get some of these head drawings down on paper and see if like they actually work out um but i want it to be oh boy there's a there's a book that i that i that i've, I've Thank you for thank you for talking with me, talking this through. No, this is, I love it. It's kind of cathartic because I haven't talked at, at this pace with anybody but my wife about it. Yeah. <laughs> talking to the side of her head about the book. <laughs> uh, but there's a book called Godel Escherbach. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a book about artificial intelligence and math. But it's written with like like puzzles inside and stories like little parables and and it has art and I'm thinking about making a book that says right this is going to be an experience it's not just going to be one thing that you read through but there's going to be a couple of layers that illustrate the same point as we go through so I'm going to write I'm going to map out how that comes together and that's the first writer's retreat yeah i think you should like look at that book on Amazon and then look at more books like this and see if you can like find a few books that are like that. So you can get gain more insights and like stuff like that. Inspiration. I need to to read. Um, I don't get to read on my commute and I find some way to make myself busy all the time that I'm reading for work. But I think I need to just say enough research, enough trends, enough nonfiction. Like let's dive into something else a little bit more. Yeah. Literary. Literary. Yeah, I'm excited for you. I'm I'm excited for myself. Like, Yeah, I think I might start. Well, because I was realizing I was putting so much effort into this podcast, which I'm going to continue to do, that I was missing writing. So I just started like writing a little bit on the uh, the plane the other day when I was traveling. And so I'm just going to start writing a little bit more and, you know, see where it takes me. But yeah, that's all really. It's, you know, you when you're like in copywriting or writing stand-up comedy you don't realize how much you're writing until you're like oh actually i I write a lot (laughs) yeah 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 exactly exactly if you're like hey i want to talk about you know whatever yeah yeah i will i'll I'll put some stuff out there um i think we i think we'll have an interesting conversation next time well we always do we're always like the here and here and here whatever (laughs) that's how the book is going to be structured (laughs) (laughs) no it'll be good i can't wait Good, good. Listen, okay. it's always next time. Always good to see you. Um, yeah, enjoy your evening in London. I will. I might be doing a little bit of work before I actually, because I didn't do it. I didn't do what I needed to do on Friday is what happened. So. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. Have a good night. You too. Bye. Okay, bye.